Can you believe that we have done five series already, uh, seasons already of Jesus the series? This is 20 episodes we've done on the life of Jesus in the last, I think, four years or so. That's a lot. Five seasons is a lot. You know, the Brady Bunch only lasted five seasons. Miami Vice only lasted five seasons. So we're doing pretty good. We haven't gotten canceled yet. But in the end, we'll probably have around 12 seasons of Jesus the series. That would be 48 sermons about the life of Jesus through the eyes of the gospel. So we have so much more to look at. We started this going step by step through what Jesus said and what Jesus did. We've been looking at the miracles that he performed, the lives that he's touched, and the sermons that he preached. And that's, his, that's our mission during this series. It's to study the words and works of Jesus so that we can talk like Jesus and we can work like Jesus. Bum, bum. Last time on Jesus the Series. Last time we went step by step through the Beatitudes and we saw that to be blessed means blissful and fortunate. And we listed the eight Beatitudes, what it looks like to be blessed, to be happy, to have joy. And ultimately, we saw that happy and fortunate are the people that realize that they are in desperate need of Jesus. So before we look at the life of Jesus today, I want to highlight something. Much of the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive. What does that mean? It means that some places in the Bible tell us what happened not necessarily what we should do. So this sticks out to us, obviously, in some places, right? For, for instance, we read about King David, and we, uh, you know, we see that David committed adultery and then killed the woman's husband. It, you know, we don't look at that and say, I should do that too. Obviously, that's what happened. That's not what we should do. And today, as Christians, we aren't commanded to go and wage war against people to regain pieces of land. God was talking specifically to a people called Israel. Now, we can learn about the approach, uh, how to approach things as a God follower. We can learn about the character of God. But I'm probably not going to go out and look for the right size sword for my height. So Paul is telling also another time, another instance, Paul is telling uh, the women in Corinth that they need to cover their heads while they prayed. That was something specifically for them. It was about how they can make sure that they weren't offending their culture, much like you might take your shoes off before entering a home in another part of the world. Context is important. We can't, we can't take different scriptures out of context without looking who the author was and, and who they were writing to. Now, we also need to make sure we don't go too far in the other direction, though, as well. We need to make sure that we don't hyper-contextualize things and take obvious moral commands and contextualize them to the point that the Bible says nothing to us at all. So we're careful to honor the original intent of Scripture. Now, with all that being said, the one thing we can always trust, and it's always easy to spot, is that when we read God's Word, we can always emulate Jesus. Now, we may not turn water into wine, but we can care about people and we can fill needs to point them to the hope that's found in Christ. Now, we may not be able to give the blind sight, but we can step into a situation and care about and love a blind person. So today we're going to look at a woman who needs help. She is desperate. She is desperately desperate. And Jesus steps in and cares about her. 
Now, this account is only found in uh, the account of the life of Jesus that we call the book of Luke. So if you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 7, if you don't have one on your phone or with you, there should be one there in front of you. So we're going to be in verse 11, and we're going to read about six verses here in verse 11. So Jesus is being followed by a great crowd. So it says, soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gates of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and considerable, a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the bier. This is the stretcher that would carry like a coffin. And the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave, to him, uh, gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Now, the timeline of events in the Bible are not always chronological. This was not always the way the writers in this culture recorded events. They recorded events in order to say things to us and to give us messages. That was the reason and the order that they gave. That was the priority. So it wasn't necessarily always written down in order. So did this, ha uh, you know, this event with the widow of Nain happen directly after the sermon on the mount where Jesus gave the Beatitudes? Maybe. We're doing our best here to try and figure this out chronologically. But we do know this. We do know that there was a great crowd that was following Jesus. And he was traveling around and teaching people and showing them and pointing them toward the kingdom of God. And Jesus is out in front of this crowd and they're following him. They're about five miles from where Jesus grew up. And they approach the city gates of this uh, town called Nain, and they're met by another crowd that's coming out. This was a crowd of mourners. Now, in the Jewish culture, mourning was a big deal. This was not just one uh, one-day event or a couple-hour funeral. Mourning over a loved one, at the very least, lasted several days, maybe up to a month. People would stop grooming themselves. They might even shave their head, cover themselves in ashes, rip their clothes. They would sometimes even pay professional mourners to play instruments and to weep and to wail. So this whole neighborhood came out. This whole family came out and would join in on this mourning. This was a parade of sorrow. And at the very front of this crowd was a widow, the mother of the deceased. Her husband had died at some point in the past, and now her only son had died. In this culture, there would have been very little hope for this woman. Her husband and son were supposed to take care of her. There were no life insurance policies. There wasn't Medicare or Social Security or that type of thing. She was poor and alone. And now she led this crowd of mourners to lay her precious son by his father in a tomb. 
But Jesus is too busy, right? He's, he's got things going on. He's a mover. He's a shaker. He's important, right? And this widow mother had lost her son, but she had people to take care of her. And Jesus had this whole crowd of people wanting to hear what he had to say. So Jesus just said, bless her heart. And he said, that's a shame. And he went on his way, right? Now, obviously, that's not what happened. But that's what I do sometimes, right? That's how we react sometimes. But no, Jesus was moved with compassion. Her hurt was in his heart. And he allowed himself to feel what she was going through. And he took the time to stop and talk to her. But what he said next was a little strange. He says, do not weep. That's a little weird, right? Jesus, she's in mourning. A parent losing their child is perhaps the most heartbreaking thing in the world. Do not weep. Now, I'm sure we've said this on some level to a child maybe that had in their knee, we look at them and say, don't cry. Now, the reason we say that is because we know that it's going to be okay. Well, Jesus knows something this widow doesn't know, and that's that it's going to be okay. Next, Jesus did something else that was kind of strange. He touches the son's bier. That's this, this stretcher that would have held his body wrapped in burial clothes like a mummy. They're being uh, uh, carried by a group of pallbearers. But he touched it. And this is strange because for, for Jesus, these Jewish ceremonial laws would have said to stay away from dead people. But Jesus touches it and says, young man, arise. And he does. He's alive. I wonder what it's like to wake up from death, right? It's got to be pretty strange. I've woken up. And I forgot who I was and where I was from a deep sleep before. And I look around, you know, drool running down my face. But this sun was all the way gone. That must have been strange to wake up from death. The Bible here calls him a young man. Jesus calls him a young man. So we don't know exactly how old he was. He was old enough to talk because it says he started to speak. I wonder what he said. I know I would have said, get this cloth off my face. I can't breathe. He was a young man, old enough to talk, but still young enough for Jesus to say, give him to his mother. Now, I doubt that you give him to his mother if he's 43, right? But Jesus changed this woman's future. She all of a sudden had hope. This parade of sorrow had turned into a parade of celebration. Now, if I brought a corpse into this room, you know, I, I, I asked the, uh, you know, the hospital to let me borrow one for a little while. I brought it into the room and touched it and rose it to life. Y'all would freak out. And this crowd was too. This was most likely the first person that Jesus had raised from the dead. And they had known that Jesus was different, but not like this. Everyone's afraid, but they saw it and they glorified God. They understood that this Jesus was the Messiah. This was God with us, Emmanuel. And they had heard the stories of Elijah and Elisha, the prophets of old, bringing someone back from the dead through the power of God. But that was hundreds of years ago. These people never thought that they would be witness to a resurrection. Now, there are three people that we know of that Jesus rose from the dead in his ministry. 
this, the son of the widow of Nain, then Jairus' daughter, who was 12, and then Lazarus. So two of these are most likely children or young people. But what's interesting to me is that these weren't especially important people in the world's eyes. He doesn't raise kings or religious leaders. These people were relatively insignificant by the world's standards. But they were loved and they were important to their families. Each of them meant the world to someone. Now, as we look at these resurrection stories, we can tend to doubt, right? We can tend to be like, man, that's kind of weird. But ultimately, we have that hope that this will happen to us as well, that there is life after death, and that we will one day be in heaven forever with Christ. And I think this widow of Nain was probably special to Jesus because maybe she reminded him of someone. Because not longer after this happened the widow, uh, with the widow of Nain, there would one day be another widowed mother who lost her firstborn son, weeping at the foot of the cross. And this time he rose himself from the grave to live forevermore. Christ has the power over sin and death. Jesus cared for this woman and he showed that he cared and he did something to help. He pushed past the awkwardness. He even said some things that maybe by our standards are a little bit strange. But he did something. He cared and he did something. Now, we may not be able to raise a, a widow woman's son to life. But we can share some of our life. And we can care about a widow. And we can check in on a person that's hurting and broken and care about them like a family would. And we've got to be intentional about this because the most impactful things in our lives don't always scream for our attention. Very often the things that are trying to pull our attention away are not the most important things. But those are the things that can make all the difference. And T. Wright says this about this passage. He says, now go through this scene again. But this time... Instead of being a funeral procession in a small first century Galilean town, make it the moment you most dread in the next week or the next year. Maybe it's something that you know is going to happen, like a traumatic move or, of a house or a job. Maybe it's something that you're always afraid of, a sudden accident or illness, a tragedy or scandal. Come into the middle of that scene if you can, in prayer. and Feel its sorrow and frustration, its bitterness, and its anger. And then watch as Jesus comes to join you in the middle of it. Take time in prayer and let him approach. Speak, touch, command. He may not say what you expect. He may not do what you want. But if his presence comes to be with you there, that is what you most need. And once he's in the middle of it with you, you will be able to come through it. In every situation... No matter where you are, seeking the presence of Jesus is what you need today. All life starts and ends and starts again with Jesus. 
Colossians 1, uh, chapter 1 tells us that all things are created by him and for him. John 1, 1 tells us in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Next it says, Jesus, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is life. Life starts and ends, and death is conquered through him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. See, without Jesus, death wins. Separation from God forever. But through Christ, we have access to life in God. And that's why we can have hope this morning. We see Jesus had compassion on this poor, lonely woman. He cared. He spent his time on her. He brought life into her situation. Jesus cared, and he did something. He cared, and he did something. And no, you're not able to raise people from the dead, but we can bring life into someone's situation by bringing the hope found in Christ. We can push past, past all the awkwardness and we can share our life with them and we can be like Jesus. You might say, well, I've tried something and it didn't work. Try something else. Maybe you're the one that has experienced the death. Whether it's the death of a person, the death of a relationship, the death of a dream. Maybe this morning you are desperately desperate. Christ can bring new life in those things as well. In Him is life. Don't give up hope. And when people do reach out, take the help. You might today be walking through life in a parade of sorrow. Jesus wants to join you in that pain, and he wants to do something. It may not be literally raising someone from the dead in your situation, but he can raise something from the dead in you. So today, whether you're a widow that has suffered great loss, or you're the one that's called to feel compassion for the widow or the broken. Either way, the answer is Jesus. Accept the hope that's found in him and then pass it along. Even when the death that you're experiencing feels like it's final or the person that you're trying to minister to, that situation looks finished. Either way, you might just get to the end of it and see that Christ has brought life where death once was. So if you're the one in mourning, have hope. And if you're the one that's called to minister to the mourner, bring hope. His name is Jesus. Every head bowed and eyes closed. The band comes.
We're going to take just a minute here. Spend a little bit more time in this invitation time, this meditation, prayer time. And I want you to ask God, who? Who am I supposed to go to? If you're right now, maybe not in the midst of a tragedy, then that means you're called to step into others' tragedies. Or maybe you are in the midst of a tragedy, and you've been stuck there for a long time. Many times the answer is thinking outside of yourself. So that's the challenge today. The band quietly plays. We're going to let this linger for a little bit longer than we normally do. This first person is this person that right now is praying, who? And as you do, and as God brings people to your mind, commit to cancel the excuses. They don't want it, or I tried, or I did this, and it didn't work. Who? It's a lack of faith to say it won't work. Because you're not doing it in your own power. The goal is to have Jesus go with you and before you. So that's the first prayer who maybe you are that one that's going through a parade of sorrow that's what every morning feels like this woman had surrounded herself with the people that were closest to her and they were bearing it together. She wasn't hidden somewhere all alone. She was with the people that she knew that she could help or that could help her. She reached out. Don't suffer alone. If you need help, People aren't going to know it unless you tell them. And if someone, you tell someone and they don't do anything, tell someone else. Don't suffer alone. But there's not a person in this room that can read minds. If you need something, you need to take the chance have the courage to say, I need someone to lean on. And then it's up to us, the rest of us. When someone reaches out to us, we step in, even if we don't have the answers, even if we don't know what we're doing. We say, hey, I'll, let's go to lunch. Let's talk. I don't have any answers, but I can listen and I can pray with you and I can point you toward the hope that's found in Jesus. So the second prayer is also who. 
The first prayer is, who are you sending me to? God, who, who needs that hope that's found in Christ? The second prayer is, who? God, who do you want me to reach out to as I'm in this parade of sorrow? As I'm struggling in the midst of it. God, help me not to hide. God, help me to run to you. Look for answers in your word. We're going to give you a minute. Whether you're the first or the second person. To pray that prayer, who? Decide to cancel every excuse before they even come up. God, I pray as, Lord, we try to be like you, God, and to to put away our flesh and our excuses and to emulate you, God. I pray that you would give us the boldness, give us the courage. God, help us to be creative. Help us to put it on our calendar. Help us to make it a priority. God, when a church lives this type of attitude out, it's what sets us apart from the rest of the world, that we think outside of ourselves and we put others first. God, I pray for the one, God, that feels like they've gotten burnt and no one reached out to them. God, I pray you help us to be people that reach out first. Be the people that we needed when we needed help. God, I pray for those of us that are apathetic and we're busy and we're distracted. God, bring people to our mind and make it so obvious. God, help us not to get away from it and ignore it. God, help us to take action. Even though we don't always have the answers and sometimes it'll be messy and sometimes we'll make mistakes, but nothing is worse, God, than doing nothing. God, help us just like you did with this widow of Nain to care and then do something. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that you are a Christian yet. You might believe in God and you might have come to church or maybe even when you were younger were baptized but you don't really remember it. Well, Before baptism is a thing called salvation and that is a conscious decision in a person's life to put their faith in Jesus Christ. See, we've all got a problem. We've got this problem called sin. 
Because of our sin, it separates us from God. Sin is anything we think, say, or do that breaks God's law. That's lying and cheating and, and saying hurtful things. And we've all done it. We, we all have done it today. And that sin separates us from, from you. But the Bible tells us that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we were sinners, Jesus died in our place. And there's this encounter that God wants to have with each and every one of us, a moment where we put our faith in Jesus Christ as the only means of our salvation. We realize that we can't do it on our own. It's not our good works. It's nothing that we've done in the past, but simply a putting of faith in what Jesus did on the cross is the only means to get to God. You can do that today once and for all. You just need to realize that you're a sinner and realize that there's a penalty for that sin, a separation from God. Put your faith in Jesus. It's the only means of your salvation. Simply call upon the name of the Lord and the Bible says you shall be saved. We're going to sing. And maybe that's you today and you haven't ever made that choice. If you have, and, and, you know, it's not something you pray every day. It's a, it's a decision, a moment in your life where you put your faith in Christ. While we sing, why don't you call out to him? The words aren't important. You call out to him with sincere lips and genuineness in your heart and ask him to save you. And he is faithful. But I also want to know about it after. If you made that choice, it's the biggest thing in your whole life. Write that down on your connection card and before you put it in that black box. Right, I chose Jesus. I'd love to follow up with you and tell you what that means and what's next let's stand and sing